Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosick. It's my great pleasure to welcome a somewhat regular guest to our program, Adam Voigt, the founder and CEO of Real Schools. And uh, they say they firmly place school culture at the top of a school and Australia's school improvement agenda. And I can certainly, we can certainly vouch for that. Um, Adam had a piece just recently. He puts these things out there to us. Home truths, advice on school culture and well-being that you might not want to hear but need to. And there's lots of things we all need to hear but don't want to. And we'll explore that topic in a moment. But firstly, welcome again to Viewpoints, Adam Voigt. Thank you so much for having me, Henry. I think I like that little moniker on the way there, in there of being a somewhat regular. That's yeah. a that's a good title. I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's very nourishing for our listeners, which, as we know off air, nourishing is my favourite word. <laughs> What's your favourite word? Oh, you know what? I was actually speaking to a principal yesterday who said that her favourite word is discombobulated. <laughs> it's just one of those words that has good, as, as another friend of mine says, a, a good mouth feel mm. for words that just feel good in your mouth when you say them. And I think my other one that, and this is like you now not a special word, but it's a has great mouth feel is the word clown. Mm. When you when you say the word clown, it just feels good in your mouth. So I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> there was one I liked when I was uh, much younger. It came from a film, and and, and the reason I liked it was I could actually say it, and it was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> it was the capacity to say that word, Adam, without taking breath. That uh, was a was a was a bit of a joy. But uh, language is so important, isn't it? Oh, you're not wrong. It's um, yeah, and it's something that we speak regularly about at real schools because, you know, as you mentioned, our focus is around helping schools build culture. And one of the things that we discover around culture is that you actually can't change it unless you're prepared to examine the language being spoken. So the language is the defining feature of every culture, whether it's a school or a family or a, a nation, um, and it tells you what you need to know about what's important in that culture and what's valued. And um, and I think schools, for instance, get sucked into trying to change their culture through a program, whereas the truth is that um, if we're going to impact culture, we have to actually think about the words we say and how we say them. Um, sounds informal, but it has the biggest opportunity for change. Now, you, you, the choice of title for your organisation, Real Schools, um, mm. that would have been obviously a very deliberate choice. Uh, what was the point you were trying to make? And there's some subliminal ones in that, uh, in, in choosing that title. Yeah, it's probably all those little subliminal messages is probably why it seems to sit so comfortably with me. I think the probably the first reason is that you know myself, I, I'm someone who's you know, I don't have a an extensive academic background. I don't have a PhD in my in you know on my um, on my shelf, but I I do like to speak plainly and honestly about what people are actually experiencing in schools. I do like to speak in real terms about what the stresses and what the challenges and what the hopes and dreams and ambitions are too about what's going on in schools. And we do like to think that our our advice and our support that we provide to schools is very real and very practical and very actionable. I think that there's a lot of professional learning that happens for for educators, for teachers and for school leaders these days that's interesting but not actionable. Mm. And we like our work to be you know, far more real and actionable for teachers that are new to the profession and, and also those that have been around the traps for a long time like perhaps you and I have. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, you're right about uh, 
about a lot of professional development activities, you walk away, it's a bit like a sugar hit, um, some yeah. of them, and they really don't last much longer than the, than the event. Now, this piece you put out recently, uh, Home Truths, um, I mentioned that in the, in the beginning, Acceptable mm. Explosions, I'll quote you here, Adam, um, yep. only years later did I discover that one particular class I taught used to call me, quote, Voity the Volcano behind my yes. back. Uh, tell us about that and the courage so, of sharing it. Early career uh, class that I had, and I often reflect on this class. I'm often saying that teachers shouldn't, um, you know, we sort of convince ourselves that we shouldn't have favourite classes, but I think we do. <laughs> and this was probably a very much a favourite class. They taught, I think it was because over 12 to 24 months, they taught me more than probably I taught them. But they, I found out later that when I met some of them as, as young adults, and they told me, yeah, we used to call you Voidy the Volcano. And I said, I think I remember hearing that at some stage. And they said, we could tell when you were rumbling. We could tell when you were going to blow up and use a, a loud and aggressive voice. And I'm a, I'm a big guy and I have mm. a loud and aggressive voice if I want to want to use it. And they said it was pretty scary when you did. And I remember thinking, gee, really? You know, was I okay with that, being someone who actually at some point, and only very rarely, but at some point did I scare my students? Mm. And I, I, I think on, on the odd occasion I, I did. Um but the, they, they didn't hold any grudges with me about that. And what I learned through that thinking and through that, you now what is that explosion all about, is that those explosions that I was having early career were very, um, very emotional and very uncontrolled. Whereas what I've learned is that through, if you study some of the research of a really clever fellow called Sylvan Tompkins, who's no longer with us, but um, incredibly clever man, and he did really a really deep body of research about the different type of affects we can feel, and there's positive and there's negative, but there's one that's neutral, um, that's neither positive nor negative, and Tompkins called it surprise startle. And if you can be surprised or startled away from what you're doing in a way that doesn't immediately become a negative reaction. So for instance, a um, um, you know, um, uh, crack of lightning, you know, um, it's, it, it doesn't mean that after it you've been, it doesn't mean you've been struck by lightning or that you're in peril, but it definitely grabs your attention. And if teachers can tap into that, so if I'm going to use that voice, that loud voice, it's not to put kids into a negative state, it's just to grab attention, then that can be a useful way of using your voice. And I'm often saying to teachers that I think the most powerful kind of weapon, if we want to put it that way, that they have in the classroom is the words they say and how they say it. And um, teachers who are aware of those different emotions that kids can feel and understanding that one of them, that surprise startle one, can on occasions be used uh, to bring attention away from something that's not working, that's not, not, not productive, then that's actually something that can be useful. Mm. And uh, the, the challenge in that, and I presume it's work you do with schools, um, Adam, is stepping out of yourself and realising that um, you're the volcano, not the startle surprise person. I mean, you, as you as you said earlier, um, you were surprised to hear the kids were scared of you and called you initially the yep. volcano. How do we get to have that understanding of ourselves as others see us? 
Yeah, I think that it's it's actually a little bit of an emotional awareness thing for us as, as educators is to know the times in the classroom when emotion is making our choices for us, to know that when we're emotional, we're using a part of our brain called the limbic system, which ain't which isn't great at thinking. It's not great at reason. It's not great at language. Um, that st- the, the stuff that is in our brain that's awesome at that is, is all in our neocortex. So if we can actually go, right, am I using the limbic system of my brain? Am I emotional here? And if you're feeling emotional, emotional is just to first of all i guess you know take that breath and give yourself a little bit of time so that you don't actually make any choices or use any language that you'd rather not you know that you that you might regret but then know what are the triggers for that for yourself as a teacher so i often talk about as teachers i think one of the most valuable things we can do is go okay what what are the things that make me emotional in the classroom you know for instance i'm one that i get emotional and frustrated when kids call out so i've had to decide well, am I going to react differently based on my mood or my energy levels or my emotion on that day? Or am I going to go to my neocortex where I saved a simple sentence, you know, which, which is, I'm disappointed with your choice to call out, and then get on with my teaching so that I don't put on some sort of display <laughs> that distracts everyone from their learning and, um, and teaches the kids just, you know, don't make a mistake in my presence. So um, I think it's for us knowing when it is that we get emotional in the classroom and then in advance planning for how am I going to handle that while I'm using my neocortex. Mm. Same applies, doesn't it, to leadership? I mean, you do a lot with school leadership teams and mm. the same principles apply for principals. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and so I, you know, um, even remember working with a fabulous principal called Greg Jarvis in the in the Northern Territory, and um, and Greg, you know, was prone to being emotional in the presence of parents who were complaining, and that really made things better. <laughs> and so we had an agreement, which was that Greg, if Greg ever got a, a, a parent sort of show up who had a had a um, had a gripe and um, was perhaps a little emotional themselves because they don't need you to join them in that emotion, um, was that Greg, we, we just agreed that Greg would offer to make them a coffee you know, and he would insist because what it would do was give Greg a moment at the, the urn in the staff room to just gather his thoughts, to get back to his neocortex and to think through and to have the words in his head almost like a little script that he was going to use when he got back in there that would allow that parent to kind of join them, join him in the neocortex, and then a productive conversation can happen. But if two people are emotional, that's going nowhere. So um, it's having strategy from a leadership point of view to understand that, and it led me to a bit of a belief as a leader, and that was that I would never ever hold it against someone, whether they are a student, whether they are a staff member, or whether they are a parent or carer, if they were speaking through emotion. They're just not accessing the right words at the moment. It's all cool. My job is not to hold that against them. My job is to help them get back to using their neocortex so we can talk properly. That's a good point. Now, we've had two years of the pandemic. We're now in the third year. Things mm. appear to be improving somewhat, Adam. From, from, from your perspective as supporting schools through real schools, uh, the last two years must have had an impact on the way we behave and view the world and there's got to be some changes. What are you seeing as the big challenges in moving forward in assisting schools? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the things that I guess through any difficulty, through any challenge, there's always a, a learning, there's always a little silver lining and I think that one of the things that school leaders are learning on mass and with really strong collective agreement is that it was kind of the people stuff all along that mattered. 
you know, it's creating an environment where people can thrive and where most of those, where most often positive emotions are experienced by people. And it's some of the pressure that we were perhaps putting on to make, to achieve academic outcomes and straining to achieve those outcomes in such a way that it was just unhelpful to the cause, to the purpose. Of it. You know, you can you can try incredibly hard if you really like to make your hair grow, but it's not going to make your hair grow any faster. <laughs> it, 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 but in my case, it's going to probably make it fall out even quicker. Uh, yeah, but I think this straining for outcomes is something that people are, are realizing that it's actually a little bit futile. What matters? What the, what the, what's the most important work that school leaders have found in this is how we can create an environment where people can learn, grow, and thrive in each other's company. Now, whether that company is within the four walls of a classroom or whether it's even in an online environment, as we all had to um, sort of step into during lockdowns, then that doesn't matter. It's about the connections between people, and I think really effective leaders are becoming more and more cognizant of that. And I think that's fabulous. I think that's a you know, a great opportunity for us to kind of unlearn some of the things that we were tricking ourselves into believing were true about education. And I think that it's a great way to relearn some more useful um, beliefs and, and, and theories around the way we should work. Mm. Now, obviously, you'd come across a lot of principles uh, for whatever reasons. They're doing mm. it tough, they're nearing burnout, whatever. Um, and you'd, you'd be well aware of the, the stats that suggest that uh, not many people, as used to, want to become principals or stay there. Um, from your perspective, in a broad sense, there, um, Adam, what can principals do, quite apart yeah. from the system, to turn that around a bit? Yeah, we've looked at that really extensively because, obviously, I mean, look, the truth is that before before the the pandemic, we had what I would call a you know something of a crisis going on in terms of our workforce and teachers and also school leaders who were you know bleeding from the system too quickly and we you know as you would be aware Henry that there's there's far too many times now particularly in regional locations where principal positions become available that people don't want to apply for and so we need to ask ourselves what was going on there I think the pandemic kind of poked the bruise in that but when it comes to the well-being of our educators and why they're feeling you know because that's what well-being is it's a it's a feeling of being at our best then um when we examine that we find that there's there's been some mistakes about the way that we've handled that within schools uh, one of them has been that we've made it somebody's job so we've given somebody the bag of of teacher well-being uh, or staff well-being and they tend to be because it's not the only bag they carry, they tend to be reactive in that space. And so it means they wait until they notice that people are struggling. And then the default tends to be an event. So they'll whack on a Friday morning tea or, you know, it might be Friday afternoon drinks or it might be a meeting-free week. But the reason that people's well-being was low was not because they were missing hot chips on a Friday. And I want to be very clear here. I love hot chips. <laughs> it's an act of self-care. It sure and, is. <laughs> and it's lovely. But it's not the reason that their well-being was low. So schools that are actually tapping into that, the conditions in which people work, and installing some habits that 
support their, for instance, their physical well-being, um, their connected well-being, um, that schools that encourage environments where people are actually learning and getting better themselves and are enthused in their work about improving, and that's actually a really important factor for our well-being. Schools that are attending to you know, our, our mental state and our mindfulness and installing instead of just a, a, a an event where once a year we hope we can plug a hole in the, the draining well-being, but instead all of the staff members being mobilised into pursuit of their own well-being rather than it being one person's job to, to order the hot chips is a, is a much better way to go about preserving and then cultivating a really positive level of well-being for people. I think when I talk about that to school leaders at the moment, that's something that's resonating really strongly with them, that we've got to, we need to go a little deeper on, them, on our view of educator well-being. Good point. Time's on the wing, but getting back to to the theme we started with, um, acceptable explosions, as you titled it there, Adam, you, you make a point about teachers and leaders using the voice only every now and then, and I love your metaphor, if there's cars backfiring around you all day, yeah. you can stop noticing it after a while, um, going about that and the importance of doing that. Yeah, I mean, in the use of voice and in the use of, I mean, and this applies not just to voice but to sound, you know, is that um, if, if the same sound is heard too often, it stops being heard. And this applies to other senses as well. For instance, this is why most staff rooms have a sign up in the above the kitchen sink that says, you know, please put all of your kitchen, all of your dish, dirty dishes in the dishwasher. <laughs> but usually that sink's full of <laughs> dirty dishes. <laughs> yeah. So after a while, if we see it too often, if we hear it too often, we stop seeing and hearing it. So the use of any elevated volume in our voice, if it's used every day, nobody's paying attention to it. And I think we've all kind of either walked past or seen that classroom where a teacher raises their voice all the time. And we walk past and often see 25 kids sitting there who aren't really listening. Mm. You know, despite all the effort that that teacher's going to. So it's wasted effort if we use it regularly. Um, but it actually pays attention to Tompkins' really clever brain research if we can use it really seldomly and if it's a choice rather than a loss of control on behalf of the teacher. That's a good point. Adam, time's got, a, got away from us, but I'll just read the last uh, piece out in this uh, last comment you made. You go, P.S., it's great to be planning events and conferences again. I've established a speaking web page and a media web page. If you're looking for somebody to provide a provocative, humorous and story-based keynote for your next event, I won't, however, explode on stage. Promise. <laughs> the, where will you explode? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I save that for my most private moments, Henry. <laughs> some poor, you know, some, some, some poor person in traffic gets to see me explode on my own in my car. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Okay, that's a good way of putting it. Adam, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on Viewpoints. If people want to get in touch with Real Schools, how do they do that? Yeah, so the best way, Henry, would be to have a look at realschools.com.au or drop us a line at info at realschools.com.au and um, we're happy to talk to any school leaders about how we can work with them to build and sustain that really positive relational culture where everyone can thrive. Too easy. Once again, thank you so much. That was Adam Voigt, who is the founder and the CEO of Real Schools, an organisation that uh, supports schools in getting there if they're not there and maintaining their position there if they are. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 